Our series on the life of David continues next here on Truth For Today. Life of David provides us with so many illustrations and examples on how to navigate ourselves through this life in God's grace and by His strength and spirit. What God teaches us through family pain will be the subject of our time today as we continue our series on the life of David. Welcome to our broadcast. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Join us here in 2 Samuel chapters 12 through 19 for today's edition of Truth For Today. Let me read you some passages. Today I want to speak on a painful subject. I'm going back to the life of David. David has done his sin with Bathsheba. David... Uh, God has told him, I will not kill you, though you deserve to die. Uh, David, I'm going to discipline you, but I've already forgiven you. Now you want to keep that in mind. You can confess your sin and God will forgive you. There's no place in the word that he said he will undo what you might have unleashed by your sin. For instance, if I went out as a believer and got angry... And literally took someone's life. A believer out of fellowship is capable of murder, right? Right? Got to talk back to me. This is going to be a long morning. It's up to you. It's up to you. Uh, Now he gets forgiven. Maybe gets saved in prison. Do you immediately drop the charges? There's a principle in the Bible that says, For whatsoever a man soweth, he shall then pray for crop failure. (laughs) Someone has said we want to sow our wild oats in our youth and pray for crop failure as we get older. Lord, don't let it come back. But there is a principle that whether it's good or evil, the principle of sowing and reaping is usually used of good. But it's true of anything. It's a... A law of nature. What you sow, you will reap. There's another principle in Scripture that goes this way. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin always pays in death. Either physical death. In relational death, I think of divorce as our best illustration. The people are both alive, but relationally they've died to each other. And sin brings distance and alienation between the sinner and God. And we find the principle throughout the Bible that where you sin, it is devastating. But let me just say a few things. We live in a culture that doesn't know what's right or wrong. We're called now, uh, philosophically, we're living in what they call the post-modern era, in which your opinion is as good as mine, and to show you that I'm sophisticated, I'll let you hold your opinion, just be gracious to my opinion. 
And we won't leave the room saying any opinion is more right than the other. But that we're such mature people that we can have 10 opinions in the room and leave each other to their opinion. And that is the mark of sophistication, education, and brilliance. There is a, there's three uh, views of salvation going on today. Universalism. Everybody will be saved anyway. Another view that says it's called inclusivism. That all ways lead to God. No matter what religion you are, you will eventually meet God and be in heaven. So we don't have to be looking for the right church or the right religion. They're all right. And then you come to this faith that says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man can get to the Father but through Buddha. But through Muhammad. But through crystals. But through New Age contemplation. But through some human being that's supposed to be the mediator to God and man. No the Bible is exclusive on how you can know God. You must come through Christ. So we live in a culture that doesn't believe there's any truth. So they don't believe there's anything really as bad as sin. If it feels good, do it. Ever get over it. I like to do this. This is my thing. You do your thing. I'll do mine. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And we want to find out what sin did in a family. We want to see that the family unit probably is God's greatest arena to show you what sin does to God the Father. How God is not impersonal to your sin. It's not just a legal offense. For instance, I break the law quite often. I go faster than I should. It's very impersonal though when I break it. The only one that bothers me is my wife. And I just hope she doesn't have the cell phone because she would call CHP and tell him he's going too fast. Because as a passenger, she doesn't appreciate it. I feel under the grace of God, the appointment's important and I should be there on time. So anyway, when I go a little bit faster and I exceed the speed limit, maybe I'm 75, did I really break the law? I absolutely did. And I'm willing to confess it. But it's all impersonal until I'm pulled over. Until I'm written up. Until I have to meet a judge. And we make sin is, oh, mom and dad didn't want me to do that, but they're old fogies and I did it anyway. Or God's got some hang-ups, you know, he, he's put some prohibitions. He didn't know hormones would be so active in the 20th century, 21st, so God's got to get over it. And we make sin an impersonal thing towards God. And God has chosen your family as the primary unit, I think, in all the world to show you what your sin does to him by allowing sin to break your heart in your own family. And we all have different kinds of family pain. We grew up maybe with a father that we didn't think loved us. Grew up maybe with a mother that didn't treat us right. Grew up with child abuse. I tell you, I've been listening to people for over 30 years 
tell me horrendous things that happen in their home. The home is not well. Sin has invaded our family life. And so in that context of family, God, I believe, wants to let us know several things. He's a father too. And he told Israel, I had children, and they all decided to rebel, Isaiah 1. An ox, a dumb ox, knows where his master is. Uh, animals know how to respond to the whistle or call of the owner. But my own kids have rebelled against me. They're stupid oxen that don't know what to do. And so I want you to know this morning, God is raising kids. And most of them have broken his heart. So every broken-hearted father, you can find great sympathy in God. He understands. Some of you don't realize how horrendous sin is until your kids act like you do. Uh, sometimes our children will literally play out an attitude towards us that we've been playing out towards God. And God's greatest mirror to show you how deep sin is and how painful it is to him, he sometimes gives us family life that mirrors to us what God is trying to see is going on between us and God. Sometimes you've got a, a couple, a parent, that is doing great with God, and God lets them enter into the fellowship of knowing what God goes through by just letting you have one child to break your heart. I want you to see it in the life of David. Sin and family pain. 2 Samuel 12. Turn there. David did a sin with Bathsheba in chapter 11. He stuffs it for nearly a year. God sends his prophet Nathan to tell him a little story about a lamb stolen by a rich man from a poor man. And David, when he hears the story, in verse 5, burned with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. The rich man that took the lamb from the poor family and killed it, just a lamb, he said, anybody that killed a lamb deserves to die. The law didn't say that. The law said you just had to return the lamb plus 20%. But David, being a shepherd boy, and having grown close to sheep, he's outraged. He ought to die, and so should David have died. But then he goes on. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Verse 9, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You have despised the word of the Lord. In verse 10, you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Verse 13, David says, I have sinned. Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're forgiven. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. 
Seven days later, the message comes. The baby's dead. The baby that did not commit the sin. The innocent. And what you're going to watch as these boys begin to die. We're going to see where four sons die. David said, pay fourfold. God's going to take him up on it. The first one is the infant, seven days old. And God's going to teach David something. First of all, David, I want you to know when you killed Uriah, you killed an innocent man in this crime. He had nothing to do with you taking his wife. He did not, he was fighting the Lord's battles. He was doing God's will. And you as a king lusted, took, you said, I'm king. I do what I want. I sleep with who I want. Nobody tells the king what to do. Now God's going to let the king feel what, and really the drama. You see, David, when you bury that seven-day-old baby, Uriah, in my sight, was as innocent of the crime that destroyed his marriage and took his life as that baby did not deserve to die. Sin brings death. Sin kills. AIDS kills. Anal sex kills. Homosexuality kills. Drugs kills. Sin kills. It's a killer you're flirting with. Sin will destroy you. You won't stop it from destroying you. There's only one cure for your sin. And that is God himself. There will never be a vaccine to curb your sin. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Well, one boy down. We go to chapter 13. And another one of David's sons is going to break his heart as he lives out the sin of his father. And what does he do? Amnon is a son of David. And he falls in love with Tamar. What in the world is it to fall in love? It is a fall, but what is it? Watch this. Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom. So Amnon and Absalom are half-brothers. Tamar is probably a half-sister to Amnon. But he falls in love. He's wanting to get her in bed, but she won't do it. She's a virgin. She's never been with a man. And so Amnon, in his frustration, wants to find a way he can take this girl to bed. Without marriage. He just wants sex. And Amnon tells his predicament, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother's sister. And then Jonadab says, go to bed, pretend like you're ill. Get the king to get her to wait on you, and then you got her. Verse 7, David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough. She kneaded it, made bread in his sight, and baked it. Then pretty soon he says, send everybody out. Everybody leaves. She brings the food to him. He says to her, come to bed with me, my sister, verse 11. Don't, my brother, she said, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. 
Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? A Jewish girl, when she got married, on the night of her marriage, had to prove her virginity. If you read this in the law of Leviticus and Numbers, they examined the sheets on the wedding night. There was no way a Jewish girl could get away. And if she was not a virgin, she could be stoned. That's what she's talking about. If I sleep with you, and then we have a wedding, even if we got married, and I can't prove on the wedding night that I came to marriage as a virgin, I could be stoned or disowned by my family. You're jeopardizing my future. Please, just ask the king. Uh, he'll give me to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then he hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Get up and get out. No, she said. Sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. He calls for the personal servant. Throw her out of the house. She puts ashes on her head, tears her garments. She flees. Absalom finds out, moves her into the house. And verse 20 says, And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. What happened? It was just sex. If you want it, you ought to get it. Doesn't matter who you violate, does it? It doesn't if you're in sin. Because God's going to show David his sin was unbridled lust. Unbridled lust. I wrote down some things that I think are the difference between lust and love. Both lust and love have strong desires. When you fall in love with someone, you've got a strong desire to be with them, ultimately to be intimate, hopefully want to be companions for life. But uh, lust acts like love, but lust is not love. Lust, unlike love, is only focused on the sex act. Love is focused on the person. There's some people that just want to use your body for a night's satisfaction. They don't want to be with you as you get old. They don't want to help pay your bills. And they don't want to be your friend the rest of your life. They just want to use you for their convenience. That's lust. Love says, oh, I'll take sex in the package. But there's a person behind the act that has value. And when they're sick and when they can't, be sexual, when they're uh, laid aside, when they have disease, when they're having children, I'll be their friend when there is no sex, not lust. You put out or you get out. Love says you're mine whether you can or not because I have fallen in love with a person, not with a physical act. Pornography is lust. It's not love. It's drooling over idols. Every naked woman you drool over is an idol. You imagine a relationship. Her body's not yours. She doesn't love you. She doesn't want you. She runs with a crowd that can pay a lot more money for her than you can. And you've turned her into an idol. 
You're taking all your addictions there. The Bible says idolatry and sin is the addiction that can never be satisfied. And God compared Israel as animals in heat. They can never get enough sex because sin never satisfies. When you do things in love, even sex in love with someone you love, there's satisfaction, not unquenchable desires. He hated her the moment he climaxed. Get out of here, you whore. I could hear him. She wasn't a whore. She wasn't a bad woman. She was an innocent victim of outraged lust. God is telling David, David, you took Bathsheba out of lust. She was not your wife. You had a harem full of women. You just would not bridle in your desires and submit to my commands. That's exactly what you did against Uriah. I'm going to let it bite you in your family. And before the chapter's over, Absalom tracks down Amnon and they kill him. But a pitiful verse is in verse 20. She lived a desolate woman the rest of her life. Uh, that word desolate means appalled, wasted, deserted. Now that she's not a virgin, nobody will pay a dowry to get her. No man in Israel can rightfully marry her. She's a widow the rest of her life. One night, one day, in the hands of unbridled sexual desire, wasted her the rest of her life. She stayed at her brother's and knit and took care of other kids. She never will have a family. She never will have a husband. What caused it? Sin. The thing we say, everybody's doing it, and it doesn't hurt anybody. You're being lied to right through your teeth. Sin is a family destroyer. It wasted a girl in a day. It killed an infant in seven days. Your sins will bring death. It's going to kill you. Some of you, it's going to damn you for eternity because you won't come to the physician for the only cure there is for the problem of sin. But if you'll come to Christ, Christ alone has the vaccine that cures you from sin. It was his blood shed in your place on the cross and he came back from the dead to say, death you will not dominate me and you will not dominate those I save. I'm stronger than sin. I'm stronger than death. And those who have come to Christ have received life and that more abundantly. You ought to be happy about that. Studying God's Word that we might grow in grace, that we might be encouraged in our walk and relationship with Him. You're listening to Truth For Today and Pastor Phil Howard. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us this morning. It's our prayer that our time together has done just that, encouraged you in your relationship with Christ, bolstered you up for the day. If you would like to review today's broadcast, copies are available when you contact us. We also have the series today's message was taken from, other resource materials available as well, the recent books authored by our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. They can all be found at our website, valleybible.org. 
A lot of resource materials available there, other CDs and series as taught by Pastor Phil Howard recently here at Valley Bible Church. Again, they're all found at our store online, valleybible.org. If you wish to speak with someone directly, call during business hours, Monday through Friday, 855 855- 833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or write to us, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you'd like to know where we meet for worship, service times, directions, location, it can all be found at our website, valleybible.org, and we would love to see you. Please consider this a formal invitation to join us for worship if you're not involved in a church near you. Again, directions can be found at valleybible.org or by calling 855-833-9864. And again, we mention it from time to time, it bears repeating, as TFT sustainers, financial partners with the radio broadcast, you ensure the continuation of this broadcast here on KFAX. Would you prayerfully consider how you might partner with us financially? And then call us. Let us know that you're interested in becoming a TFT sustainer. We'll pass along our quarterly newsletter to you, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil. The weekly video devotional will be available as well. Again, valleybible.org for more information or call 855-833-9864. No gift is too large or too small. We'd love to hear from you. Call us today and then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.